Thank you, brother. All right, take your Bibles with me this morning and turn to Matthew chapter number 19. Ask you to keep your Bibles open with me this morning as we study the Word of God together. Matthew chapter number 19. As I have been preaching and studying on the subject of pride the past month or so, it just seems to me like that it's everywhere that I turn and everywhere that I look. Maybe it's because I've become more sensitive to it. I know that, gosh, it seems like there's so many layers of it in my own heart, my life, that I just get sick of looking around and finding it and having to deal with it. But it looks like it's going to follow me to the grave. And I'm just asking God to give me more victories than I have losses concerning my battle with it. And I hope and pray that He will draw nigh to me as I draw nigh to Him. And that and that um, I don't want to ever step in an area where He begins to resist me. I just want to be close to Him, walk with Him. I need His hand in my life. Do you need His hand in your life? Do you need the help of God in your life? This I do know about pride. I do know that God absolutely hates it. He absolutely considers pride an abomination uh, to him. He resists the proud and because it hurts people. And it'll hurt you, but it'll also hurt the people that you're connected to. And it always kind of spreads. It doesn't just stay with you, but it leaks out and it does damage to those whom you are also walking through life with. Whether you intend for it to or not, it does. It harms people, it hinders your walk with God, it grieves the Holy Ghost, it harms a church, it hinders a church from moving forward. And it is the biggest hindrance to revival, is pride. And uh, it destroys things, and that's what I want to speak about this morning. You probably have heard these verses many times, that pride goeth before destruction. And an haughty spirit before a fall. So there's some reasons why some things get destroyed. There's some reasons why some people fall. The Word of God says also that the Lord Himself, the Lord will destroy the house of the proud. And that's what I want to speak on this morning is pride, the destruction of a home, the destruction of a home. Now, I want you to look in Matthew 19. I want to remind you that pride is someone who is self-conceited, self-willed, arrogant, stubborn, haughty, rebellious. Self-willed is one of the key words to being prideful, is that you just say no to God's will. You say, my will not thy will. And that can be done with a smile on your face, with the pretense of humility, but when you refuse to submit to God, I don't care how gentle you are in doing so, you still are being self-willed and you still are being rebellious and stubborn toward God. Now this morning I want you to know that your pastor loves you and I want you to know that I care so much about you and your family, your marriage your relationship with the Lord, God has burdened my heart with this message. And I know that it will help anyone because it is the truth. Truth is what makes the difference. And I want to deliver that truth 
with some compassion and with some courage. And I want you to be able to see these things and care enough to move toward the solution in your heart, in your marriage, in life. You say, well, Brother Roger, I'm not married and that's not going to do me much good. Listen, this, this thing that we're going to be studying today, it will affect everybody. If you're a young person and you're thinking and contemplating at some point of marrying and having a family, why don't you listen to the Word of God about how God would have you to build your house? And how about if you are married and you think, well, Brother Roger, we've had so many issues and problems that we'll... Don't, don't ever think that it's too late uh, to fix some things. And I'm not saying it'll always be perfect. Won't always. This is not a Hollywood movie where everything goes back to and resets. It doesn't do that. But boy, you sure can learn. And you sure can move forward. And I also will say to you that, that if your grandparents, if your in-laws, hey, you know what? Occasionally somebody's going to ask you something and you need to be giving them counsel from the mouth of the Lord. Not from your emotions, your feelings, or how you may have some very strong feelings of maybe when things are not going good in your family with some of your in-laws and things of that nature. You've got to lay that aside. And you've got to give them godly Counsel, and this will help you with this. Now, I want to show you something. I, 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 I am confident in the Word of God. There's hope in the Word of God. But here's what you got to do. You're going to have to be able to receive the Word of God, and you're going to have to be able to receive it with some meekness and some humility and let it come inside your heart. Okay? Look with me in Matthew 19. Can I say this about, uh, look with me in Matthew 19, that the Lord Jesus Christ knows a little bit about us and He knows what the grounds are for a home. You believe that? You say, well, Jesus was never married, so He don't know what it's like to have a wife or kids and all that. You better stop that attitude right now. You don't have to experience everything in order to be able to know the truth about something. I have no intentions of ever spending a moment in hell. But I will preach on it and I'll teach on it and the truth of it from God's Word. Matthew 19. Look with me please here if you would in verse number 1. It came to pass that when Jesus had finished these sayings, He departed from Galilee and came into the coast of Judah beyond Jordan. And great multitudes followed him, and he healed them there. See, Jesus is for you. He's interested in helping. He went about doing good. He was harmless. Verse 3, the Pharisees also came unto him, tempting him. Why would you mess with a guy that's only doing good? Hmm? What's the matter with you? Why do you despise those which are good. Hmm? The Pharisees also came unto him, tempting him, and said unto him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? Now, they're, they're not interested in the truth. They're trying to catch him in a, in a snare. Some people ask questions, not looking for help, not looking for answers, looking for loopholes, and looking for a way to really tell you what they think rather than what you 
can tell them. Verse number 4, He answered and said unto them, Have you not read that He which made them at the beginning made them male and female? And He said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God had joined together, let not man put asunder. They said unto him, we, Why did Moses then command to give a writing of divorcement and to put her away? And he said unto them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, suffered you to put away your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say unto you, Whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whoso marrieth her which is put away, doth commit adultery. All right? Now let's study this passage for just a moment. First of all, Jesus tells us concerning the home that there is a divine design for the home. Some of you young people, when you're discussing such issues with some of your friends, whether it be in person or by social media, you don't have to be ashamed of believing what Jesus said. As a matter of fact, you should declare what Jesus said and let them know that it is not of your opinion, but that it is of the Lord Jesus Christ and His authority that you have developed this philosophy. First of all, marriage is to be heterosexual, not bisexual, and not homosexual. Jesus said so. Male and female. It was to be monogamous and not polygamous. It was to be permanent and not temporary. Things happen. Sin happens. We know that. But Jesus also says for it to to work right, He says you have to do some things the way God said do them. And even if you are now remarried, if you repeat what you were doing the first time, you probably are going to have the same results if you do not change the way that you do things in your heart, in your life, with your priorities in your life. For example, Jesus said, made it very clear, that there should be a leaving that takes place. Verse number 5, For this call shall a man leave father and mother. You cannot truly fulfill the next few steps in your marriage if you cannot cut the strings with mom and dad. That doesn't mean that you begin to not have a relationship at all with your parents. Thank God that's not so. These folks that walked with the Lord in the Old Testament, sometimes they lived in a tent right next to the tent of their parents and lived on the same property with their parents, but they knew where the boundaries were and they knew where their priorities were when they got married. They knew that emotionally, the man knew that he had to be attached to his wife beyond the attachment to his mother. And he knew that the woman had to be attached to her husband beyond the attachment to her father, emotionally, and even separately, and even economically. It is now for that man to take care of his own wife and his own family 
doesn't mean that he doesn't eventually have to take care of his mother if she's a widow. But it does mean that the wife doesn't always feel like that she's in the back seat or that she is second to mom. Do you understand each other here on this? It's very important that you understand this. And socially as well, that you spend more time with your mate than you do with your parents. Once you have gotten married, you need to understand this. That there is a break there that has to take place. And listen, not everybody is anxious about breaking away from their mom and dad. Some folks run away from home. Some folks can't stand their parents, but not everybody's like that. Some of us love our mom and dad. Some of us thank God for the way they've raised us, and we like hanging around them. And we're not looking forward to that that separation taking place, but it needs to take place if you're going to. And you know what? A wise mom and dad knows that. A wise mother and father knows where the boundaries are. They know their limitations in that next step. But you'll notice also, not only is there a leaving, but there is a cleaving. Now that means now you're committed to one person. Did you know in the Old Testament that it's one year without being a soldier? You didn't go to war? If you got married, if you, if you wanted to be exempt from going to battle, you found your wife and you got married. But you were to spend a year not going to war and you were not to travel away doing your job. Now that society was set up to make marriages succeed. Ours are not. We even have laws that discourage people getting married. As a matter of fact, I got a phone call a few weeks ago from a gentleman who asked me if I would perform their... their, He said he wanted to get married in the eyes of the Lord. I said, what do you mean by that? He said, well, I didn't want to go to justice of the peace and I didn't want to go uh, there. I wanted to go and, and do it in the eyes of the Lord. And I said, well, what's going on here? He said, well... You know, she's got property and I got property. And if we get married, there's going to be financial in the, in the eyes of the law. Then we're going to have financial repercussions for doing so. And so we'd just like to exclude them and just get married in the eyes of the Lord. I said, so basically you want to use me in order to bypass some of the rules and the laws that our country has established. By the way, also, if you get married by justice of the peace, according to Romans 13, you did get married in the eyes of the Lord. Amen. And I said, no, you're not going to use me. That's not going to happen. I'm not doing that. And so, and, and, and that's, I like this guy. And he likes me. It's not that we were, I was trying to be saying, no, I'm just saying, no, that's not going to work for me. You're not going to use me. It's not going to happen. I said, but, but our government discourages people from doing the right thing is what I'm trying to tell you in these areas. But you need to cleave and you need to, you need to, uh, that first year of marriage, you need to establish some security uh, with your mate so that she knows beyond a shadow of a doubt that you love her and she loves you because life's going to be hitting you fast and furious after that first year. And when you have a child, things begin to change and then you have another child and then, then another child and things really get to changing and that's why it's important that you leave and you cleave and then you weave your life together can I say that marriage, by God's divine design, is that you go through and you grow through the seasons of life together as a husband and a wife. And I promise you, there are seasons of life. And you're going to have to go through them together. That's God's will. So the divine design here is, is for you to leave, for you to cleave, and for you two to become one, that you weave your life together. That's God's will. But then also, there is a divine desire. 
Now, I want you to turn with me to Psalm 127 real quick. Would you look over there with me? Look in Psalm 127. It is God's will. If you are, we have some young folks that I think that are looking in this direction eventually as far as marriage is concerned, that you need to consider the fact that you'll be leaving, you'll be cleaving, and you'll be weaving your life together. But also there is a divine desire. We need to move on here and look at some of the dangers about pride here in just a moment. Look in Psalm 127. The Bible says here in verse number 1, you notice the word it says, except? Except. It says, except the Lord build the house. You know what that tells me, Brother Craig? That God desires to be the builder of my house. I'm not talking about the material construction of my house. I'm talking about the very fiber and being of my home, my family. It says, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain. His desire is to build your house, not destroy your house. It is God's desire to, is to build your house. All right, and you'll notice it says in verse number 3, Children are an heritage of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is His reward. And the Bible says in verse number 5, Happy, and that's what God wants in your home, is it to be a happy place. That's God's desire. A happy place with the children. And with the wife, look in Psalm 128, the word is mentioned again. The Bible says, verse 1, Blessed is everyone that feareth the Lord and that walketh in His ways. I beseech you, lay your wisdom aside, your feelings, your frustrations, and your fleshy desires, and fear God. Do it His way. Go back to doing it His way. He look in verse number 2. For thou shalt eat the labor of thine hands. That means there's going to be some productivity. He says, happy shalt thou be, and it shall be well with thee. God wants to bless you. And He wants to build your home. And He wants it to be a happy place. According to Hebrews 13, the way the Lord does this, His desire is that your marriage and your home be one that is honorable to the Lord. Your motive for marriage and for staying married and working through the tough places and times is to honor the Lord. Marriage is honorable. Fooling around, shacking up, fornicating, is dishonorable to you, to you, to your body, to your parents, to your church, and to your God, and to even your community. It is dishonorable. Now, the world promotes it. They push our young people toward it. But God says it's a very dishonorable thing. Marriage is honorable. So if you are 
desirous of this person physically and sexually, then the Bible says that if you have those desires in 1 Corinthians 7 to avoid fornication, to avoid fornication, get married. Get married. Marriage is honorable to God, to your family, to your church. I pray that you desire to honor the Lord. But second of all, it's a marriage that God desires to be holy. The scripture says that marriage is honorable and the bed is undefiled. He said, but whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. So if God's desire is that you would have a home that is unjudged. God's desire is that you would have a marriage and relationship with each other that is unjudged by the Lord. Can I say also here that it ought to be, God's desire is that it be, as I mentioned earlier, a place that is happy. A place where there's some fun. Now there has to be a, a, a medium here between what is fun to you and what is fun to your mate. Sometimes it always just seems to go in one direction. And usually you'll hear somebody say, I mean, I've done a lot of counseling over the years. Somebody will say, well, we always do what he wants to do. Oh, we always do what she wants to do. Well, it can't be that way. You've got to find a happy medium. Not just a medium, but a happy medium. And occasionally, you just suck it up, man, and you do what she likes without whining about it. And moping about it. And then, ladies, every once in a while, you do that which you know he enjoys doing, and you do it without the poochie lip. Don't tell me you don't know what the poochie lip is. There is to be a happy medium of things that you can do together. Say, so we just seem like we can't do anything together. Well, you did them together before you got married. You can find it. But you'll have to give up a little, a little self to find it. You will. But there also has to be some forgiveness. Strong marriages that last for a long time, I promise you, have gone through many times of forgiving one another. You, in case you're not aware of it, you married a redeemed sinner. And that person is still struggling with that sin nature. And if they're not walking in the Spirit, they're probably walking in the flesh. And God's going to help you and give you grace to forgive one another. I love this passage in Ecclesiastes chapter 9 where it says that that we should live joyfully with the wife whom thou lovest all the days of thy life. I love that. Because number one, it says you ought to live, not just exist. I want Cindy and I to live. Live, not just exist. And I would like to live joyfully. And I would like to live permanently together all the days of our life. One that is happy. I think there ought to be a place in your home where there's some love, 
and where there is some laughter and where there is some loyalty to one another. I want you to go back to Matthew 19, please. I need to carry you to the book of Hebrews after that, but I need you to see this. Now we're going to talk about pride and how it begins and what it does to a home. Matthew 19, the Lord Jesus Christ was a man by the Lord who spoke the truth. But he wasn't a porcupine about it. He wasn't always trying to cut and slash, but truth is pointed. The words of the wise are as goads. And the Lord Jesus Christ could always discern hypocrisy and people who were insincere or trying to trap him. So he knew how to respond. Wouldn't it be a blessing if we had the wisdom of God of how we ought to answer every man whenever they ask us something, that we could pick up on and perceive their spirit when they are talking to us? But you'll notice here in Matthew 19, he said down here that, um, now here's the devastating danger to a home. It's down here in verse number 8. You know why that you are having serious problems, are going to have serious problems, or have had serious problems in your marriage, in your home? I promise you it's a heart problem. You say, oh no, it's him. Oh no, it's her. Verse number 8 says this, He said unto them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts. And when people's hearts get hard in a marriage and in their home, they begin to harm each other. Not always physically, emotionally, and psychologically. They begin to harm, maybe not both of them, but at least one of them. When one of them's heart gets hard, it begins to turn toward harmfulness in that relationship. And that's why Jesus made it very clear in verse number 9 that sometimes there's even an exceptions that have been made because of the harm that's being done. That it does have to be dissolved. He said, but that's not my will. That's not my desire. And that's not what I want. And that's not what I want for you. That's what the Lord says. Now, You'll notice here with me, how does that start? Because nobody starts courting a woman or a young lady or a young man, courting, dating, whatever you want to call it. I know people have got their own words that they use, and they get upset if you don't use the right word. But I'm not worried about you getting upset. I want you to listen to me. No one goes into a relationship, and by the way, every, quote, date, is a potential mate. So, when you show, begin to show interest in somebody, and your heart is after that person, you give your heart to that person, you did not do that with the intentions of down the road of destroying that person or that person destroying you. You did not go into that with the hopes of pain and heartache and strife, 
and misery. God never designed it for that. And you can tell others so. And the Bible says here that, here, here's what he said. You'll notice it says here in verse number 4. Well, I mean, you talking about the Lord picking up an arrow and shooting it at them? After they ask him a question, he said, have you not read? Now that almost was an insult. Have you not read? But there are people who read who don't pay attention to what they read. I want you to turn with me. We're going to spend the, some time here now in Hebrews. Would you turn real quick? I'm going to help you with this. If you'll listen carefully, look in Hebrews, please. Hebrews chapter number 3. How is it that a heart gets hard? Because we don't want our hearts to be hard. Nobody goes into a marriage with the idea of divorce. Nobody goes into it with the idea that they want to just live a life of misery and strife and eventually division. They don't want that. Hebrews chapter number 3. Look at this. Now, this is what Jesus was talking about, the hardness of their heart. How does that, how does that happen? When Jesus said to them, have you not read? I'll tell you, this is, this is the steps of it. I hope the Holy Ghost will show you how clear this is. If you'll look in chapter 3, verse 12, there's always the same steps. It's always the same steps. Verse 12, it says, Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. So there begins there a doubting of the Word of God. And of God's ways and of God's promises. How does this start? Well, it begins by you neglecting the Word of God. Have you not read it? Do you read it? And if you if you are reading it, did you not read what it said? I mean, have you not read? You are beginning to neglect the Word of God. And when you neglect the Word of God, you negate the Word of God. And its power and its effectiveness. It is the sword of the Spirit. It is the rails around my home for Cindy and I to live within. We do not want to cross over those rails. We want to live within the boundaries of God's holy word of how this is to work. She has agreed to submit herself to God so that she might be able to submit herself to her husband. And I have agreed to submit myself to the Lordship of Christ, that I might be able to love her like Christ loved the church. It comes to allowing the Word of God not just to be read, but also to become a part of my very decision-making, above my emotions or feelings or frustrations, etc., It ain't about me being happy. It is about me honoring the Lord. And if I choose to honor the Lord, the happiness will come. But it's actually receiving the Word of God with meekness and responding to the Word of God when I read it. He said, have you not read? Have you not read? You shouldn't even be asking me this question. You should know the answer. That's what he's telling them. There is a doubting that begins that God's ways, when you start feeling some things and you start having some issues, if you're not careful, you'll step right off into unbelief 
and thinking that God's not right and you are an exception to the rules that God has established, man or woman. But then not only is there a doubting, but notice it says in verse 12 that they, there's an unbelief, but he says in verse 12, in departing. There is a doubting and then there is a departing. And it starts in the mind and then the heart. You begin departing from the living God and this is where your heart begins to get hard. You may blame somebody in your family. Maybe they're not doing just right, but they don't determine who you are. They don't determine what you are. They can't determine your relationship with God unless you allow them. God is able to make you an overcomer. God is able to help you even in the weaknesses of your mate. My Christian life is not, my Christian walk with God and my Christian life is not determined by the choices that Cindy makes. They are determined by the choices that I make with my Lord. Now, she can affect my daily life. She can affect my life. I'm not denying that. But I am saying that God is able to help me and you. Now, notice this. Now, when we talk about departing, you say, well, I, 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 I haven't done that, Brother Roger. I'm here this morning. All right, but let me, let me just ask you a few questions. Here's what happens when people depart from the Lord. No, they're no, they no longer give God the first part of each day. That's called me time with God. They no longer give God the first day of the week. That's we time with God, me and you, with God together. And they no longer give God the first counsel in every major decision that they make. And I've said that several times over the past several weeks on purpose. Therefore, you no longer prioritize God's will for your marriage and your family. When this doubting takes place and the departing begins to take place, notice what happens here. Boy, this is really scary. He says in verse 13, there becomes a deadening. Verse 13, but exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened. There's that deadening through the deceitfulness of sin. The hardness of the heart, the deceitfulness of sin. Now, I need to give you an illustration. I want you to keep your hand right there. Let me show you something. I'm going to give you a perfect illustration of this right here. Okay? Give you some symptoms of this. Keep your hand right where you are. Turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 6 real quick. 2 Kings chapter number 6, and I'll show you some of the symptoms of this. When, you're, when, you're, when you become deadened in your heart, and I'm just here to tell you, God's for you. God wants to help you. He doesn't want to work against you. 2 Kings chapter number 6. Now I'm laboring this morning in doctrine. This is doctrinal truth about our homes and about pride. 2 Kings chapter number 6. This is a situation where that there's a great famine and they are surrounded They're in Samaria, the king and the people of Israel. They are secluded. They've been cut off from their food supply. And when you get cut off from the word of God, things begin to change in your life. And you do. some of you are doing it willingly. You're neglecting the word of God. You can't. 
You cannot neglect the Word of God. You cannot do that. 2 Kings chapter 6, here's what begins to happen. You'll notice as they began to get away from eating right, that they began to participate in the things that they once despised. In other words, there was a time in their life when they when they said, I will never, I wouldn't dream of. But they began to place value on some things that at one time in their eyes was something detestable. 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 25. There was a great famine in Samaria, and, besieged, and, and behold, they besieged it until an ass's head was sold for four score pieces of silver. Now, ladies, when you went shopping for groceries this week, did you think about going to Walmart to pick up an ass's head to bring it home and boil it for supper? Did you think about getting doves dung for dessert? Now there is great value placed on this because they have left their diet. They have left their food. They have left what they need to sustain them. And I'm afraid that, you know, one of the things that is plaguing America and plaguing churches is pornography. And it is so easily accessible on phones, laptops, computers. And even when you don't want it, it tries to invade your life. And there was a time when you got married that you made vows and you made promises and you never dreamed that you are now participating in some things willfully and maybe even habitually that you never thought that you would be engaged in and involved in. And that could not have happened without your heart getting hard. And that would not have happened had you not started neglecting God's Word and allowing it to work into your heart and your life. Whether you were a male or a female, there is an increase in females involved in these things as well. And in case you did not know this, but Jesus said you cannot look upon another person and lust after them without committing adultery into your heart. And you say, well, I'm not hurting anybody, but you are hurting somebody. You are hurting yourself, and eventually it's going to leak out on you. And it's going to change the way you think and the way you look. You won't even be able to come to church with a clean mind. You won't even be able to function properly. Brother John will tell you, a lot of those guys that wind up in prison started off on that stuff, and it hardens the heart. And usually men become violent and aggressive and perverse. And I'm telling you, that's exactly what happened here when they began to value something that at one time they considered to be trash, that they would have thrown in the garbage. But now they're spending money on it. Do you understand what I'm saying here? All right. But another thing here. Notice in verse number 26. You'll notice not only did they begin to participate in the things that they once despised and valued things that they once considered trash, but they began to seek the world for counsel. The Bible said that as the king of Israel was passing by, 
You know what the Bible says about some of that? When you need counsel, it says it's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in men or in princes. That king represents that worldly philosophy of doing things. And the world will not try to hold your marriage together. It will give you an escape route. It will not help you build your home. It will help you destroy your home. They're not interested in your son and your daughter and the effects it has upon them. Now notice what it says here. It says, and the king said under, she said in verse 27, I'm sorry, verse 26, and the king of Israel was passing by upon the wall. There cried a woman unto him saying, help my Lord, O king. So when there is trouble and your, and your home is in trouble, who do you go to for help? Who do you ask for counsel? What kind of philosophies do you want helping you with your marriage and your relationship and your family? All right. Let me show you something else here. You'll notice in verse 28 and 29, it gets worse. Because what happens here, and none of us are an exception to this. Pride does this to us. Pride moves us away from God, counting on Him, depending upon Him, calling upon Him, humbling ourselves to Him. We all have to swim up the same river. And God enables that man who will call upon Him and humble himself. Say, God, help me. I don't have the strength for this. You look what He says in verse number 28. And the king said unto her, What aileth thee? And she answered and said, This woman said unto me, Give thy son that we may eat him today. And we will eat my son tomorrow. So we boiled my son, did eat him. And I said unto her the next day, Give thy son that we may eat him. And she hath hid her son. My soul. What happens here is that you begin to care more about your own selfish desires, and your selfish lust, then you do your duties before God as a wife, as a husband, as a father, and a mother. And you are so hard in your heart that you think that your children are going to be okay. And I'm not saying that God doesn't help kids overcome. They're pretty resilient. But don't you think for a moment that kid doesn't lay down at night and weep and cry and has great insecurities melted into his heart because he doesn't know if mom and dad are going to be together this week or next week. No child should ever, 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 ever have to experience that. Should never have to doubt whether dad cares about mom or mom cares about dad. Never. Let's go back to our text, please. In Hebrews 3, let me close with some help here. Pride causes us to begin to doubt God because now you're trusting in yourself. It causes us to depart. And it causes us to have a deadening in our soul and spirit and mind. And we get to the point where we just don't care. We just don't care. Now listen, if you've already gone through this and you're on the other side, thank God, don't repeat it. Hebrews chapter 3, look with me in verse number 12. Here's 
for the proud heart, for those of you here that are listening carefully or those online, would you listen carefully to Brother Roger for just a moment out of God's Word? The Bible says a man's pride will bring him low. Here's what you need to do today. Verse number 12. You need to take heed. Verse 12, he says, take heed, brethren. You are not an exception to the dangers of pride. Take heed to your heart. Guard over it. Watch over it. Diligently keep it with all thy heart, with all thy might. Keep your heart. Keep it tender before God. Make sure you got that me time with God. And on Sunday, make sure you have that we time with God in the house of the Lord. Take heed, brethren. Take heed. But also in verse number 13, how about you taking some help? A proud man doesn't want help. You know that? Hmm. Verse 13 says, but exhort one another daily. That means that you need to understand that you are not alone in this battle. That these things are common to all of us. And when someone comes up to you and God brings somebody up in your life, whether it be, listen, don't reject what is being said to you because maybe you don't like the person who is saying it to you. If I am really dying of thirst and I don't like you, but you bring me a cup of water, I'm not going to reject that cup of water just because I don't like you which I do like you. But do you understand that maybe it comes from your father-in-law, maybe it comes from your mother-in-law, maybe it comes from your sister, maybe it comes from your brother, maybe it comes from a friend at church. And they kind of get up in your face a little bit and they exhort you and say, hey man, don't start going down that route. Hey man, leave that stuff alone. Hey man, you need to go see somebody. Hey, and they're saying something to you to exhort you to not go down that path. You need to take heed to yourself, your private life, and then take some help from the people that God has put around you to protect you and to help you. God's for you. But then you need to take hold. Look what he says here, if you would. He says in verse number 14, For we are made partakers of Christ. If we hold the beginning of our confidence, that's that faith, steadfast unto the end. While it is said today, if you will hear His voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation. Take hold of your faith in God again. And what time you are afraid, trust in the Lord, trust in Him, and humble yourself before Him. And forsake Pride. Choose to forsake your flesh. Choose to fear God and forgive one another. And commit your heart back to God and to His Word. I have learned over the years, and I'll say this, and I've said it many times. I've been asked to teach in a lot of places over the years on the home. And my home's not a perfect place, but it is a place that we overcome. We overcomers. We're overcomers. I have determined that a lot of men that get married do not know how to treat their wives and love their wives as Christ loved the church. 
And there are many women who do not know how to love their husbands, but yet they are too proud to ask an older woman, hey, I'm I'm not getting something right. Because they think that love is just a feeling and an emotion where really it's shown in your submission and your action and your attitudes. And you do, love is always, it always is wound up in this statement. You do that which is in the best interest of the person that you're engaged with. God loves me. Brother Lewis, He will always do what is in my best interest. And He might hurt me, but He won't harm me. And I pray this morning, wherever you are, don't let pride destroy your home. Do not let pride destroy your marriage. And do not let it rob you of something that God said could be a a happy thing and a wife a good thing. Instead of looking at the person who's the issue, let me make sure that my heart is not hard toward God, that I am not neglecting and negating the power of His Word in my heart and in my life. Let me make sure that I really am taking heed to some people who are looking out for my best interest and are for me, not against me. Let me humble myself before God and say, God, I have messed up. Please forgive me. God, give me godly wisdom. Show me how I can do my part in fixing some things at home. Would you stand together with me, please, for just a moment with our heads bowed. I've delivered to you what God has given to me to give to you. I pray that you would receive it with meekness. Maybe you need to come and pray for somebody in your family. Maybe you need to pray and ask for God for wisdom and understanding. I pray that you'd obey the Holy Ghost. I pray that you wouldn't resist Him this morning in pride and that you say, God, would you help me? God, I need some counsel. I need some wisdom. I need some help. Lord, forgive me, dear God, of drifting a little bit, Lord. Father, in Jesus' name, may your will be done upon the earth as it is in heaven here in this room. Oh, God, I pray that our men and women and our young people would see there is a divine design and there is a divine desire. For them to have a happy place. In Jesus' name, I pray that you'd work in our hearts for Christ's sake. Amen. With our heads bowed.